Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Today's guest, Jill Violet, founder of the national nonprofit Playworks, is also the author of Why Play Works, Big Changes, Start Small. She'll also share her superpower, helping others discover their transformative power and how that helps her change the world. Jill, thanks for coming back. It's so good to see you again. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you as well. Well, it's it's really a thrill to catch up with you. You know, you set up Playworks as a national nonprofit organization that's had tremendous impact. You know, you started that 25 years ago. Uh, when I was 12. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You were 12. Tell us a little bit about how you measure the success of that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think in general, this has been a moment of uh, sort of real accounting on a lot of on a lot of fronts. And so the 25th anniversary um, has given us a chance to pause I, I, um, during the during the pandemic. I also uh, we ended up contracting pretty significantly as an organization and we're well, well back on the road to serving as many schools and kids as we were um, prior to the pandemic. But it was a it was a bumpy 18 months. And when we downsized, I included myself in the layoffs. And so that gave me even um, more time and space to really kind of try and make sense of, of the lessons learned over the past 25 years. And, and so I think um, it, it, when I measure success or think about just all that we've achieved, I think what it really comes down to are all the people and the relationships um, and, and the humans who have been so amazing in um, really embracing this kind of idea and making it their own and building an organization and an institution with a culture that really put people at the center. And I think ultimately with all the things that we've done, all the kids we've served, the thing that still kind of moves me the most is the the transformative experience of making a difference that so many people have had by being a part of Playworks. Yeah. Uh, well, it has been transformative. Uh, and so you took a part of the time that you've spent over the last 18 months, you've devoted to writing a book that was published uh, a month or two ago, yeah. a brilliant book about the importance of play as part of education. Uh, you have a picture. You have a book. I, there. Look, I, ha- I, I happen to have a book right here. There it yeah, is. So it, there works. it is. Yep. There it is. Why play works. So yep. uh, it's a, a brilliant book. Uh, I, I read uh, part of it. I haven't finished it yet. Okay, that's okay. It. But but I but it's a great book. And thank you. Uh, one of the things that you leap into in the book is talking about twenty different ways that play changes kids. I suppose it's true for all humans. Tell us about some of those. Sure, sure. Well, so the writing process, I I will just admit at the outset, was super um, personal. Like I really wanted to, in this moment of like global transition and laying myself off somewhat abruptly, um, I was really trying to make sense of the whole experience for myself as much as anything else. And so I set about, you know, as one does, writing it out, writing it down and sort of thinking by writing. And I, I wrote uh, and wrote and wrote and wrote and had 11 chapters and I was reading through it and I was just like, this is not, this is not right. This is not, this is not doing justice to the experience. And I think also I was reacting to, um, 
all the things going on in the world, right? But not just the pandemic, but this moment of racial reckoning and this, the extreme political polarization in our country and the climate things were on fire. Like I, that, it, it was just, every time you turned around, like locusts were like <laughs> frogs were falling and like, it was just like, ah, so yeah. um, I, uh, so when I was trying to go back through and, and teasing out the parts of the book that I liked, I, I ended up reorganizing it around 20 big changes that we needed in the world more globally, in my opinion, that I saw small starts in play. Um, and, and starting with kids, but but also for grownups. The book is as much about uh, play as a tool of leadership and play as a tool for uh, navigating and mitigating fear and learning to deal with risk and you know, play as a tool for promoting gender equity and, and racial equity. Um, so many things. Play as a tool for getting comfortable with disagreeing. Like somehow along the way, we've gotten um, so that someone who you disagree with, we vilify one another in this way. Yeah. And, and play, I think, fundamentally shows us how much we need one another and how like you need healthy competition to get better yourself. And um, and, and so wanted to really take this moment to, to very intentionally glean the lessons that I felt like I was so lucky to learn over these 25 years and to, to, to couch it in stories from mostly from the school and the playground. Um, but that really trying to make a bridge between the sort of theoretical idea of play to the concrete and how do we like, how do we get ourselves out of this mess? Interesting. Interesting. Give us an example or two out of those 20. What are some of the specific principles that you see, some of the changes that you think we can make or that we start with play? Yeah. Well, so um, in this moment of like reopening schools, um, one of the big ones has been around uh, thinking about how play uh, gives us a really great framework for thinking about co-creating the rules and the rituals and and the referees for navigating uh, a situation like COVID. Like um, people were so anxious about kids wearing masks and how we're going to handle social distancing. And uh, what we actually have seen is there's a lot going on in schools. It it has not been a re-entry. Our teachers, our educators, the kids themselves, folks who work in school, they're dealing with a lot. It's, it's been a really challenging reopening. Um, That said, the kids are also, the more the kids are um, engaged as partners in this work, as co-designers, as, as architects of their own environments, the more agency they're given to understand why the rules are in place and how we need each other and we keep each other safe, um, the, the, more, uh, the, 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 the more smoothly, I think, people have found reopenings to go. So... Um, but again, uh, so with play, one of the lessons is about how uh, play helps us, you know, get comfortable with the rules. The other one is play helps us learn to manage risk, right? Um, when when you're playing, there's a certain, I mean, play is this, theory, you know, um, it's an undeniably risky behavior that has survived evolution nonetheless, partly because the way you learn to handle risk is by taking manageable risks, and, and yeah. play really is that that tool. And, and, and so um, 
you know, people climb jungle gyms or they play hide and seek. In, in, in a lot of ways, those are just playing out dealing with fears of heights and, and or being worried worries about abandonment. Like there are there are different ways and reasons that these different games and play behaviors last. That is such an insightful, such a profound observation. One of the things that you point out in the book is that play isn't just for kids, right? That we adults need to play. And you talked about your experience at the D school, <laughs> starting out with a couple of weeks of one of these fairly typical corporate training events that involved a lot of play. Tell us a little bit about what you learned from that and, and how you think we apply that in our daily lives. Yeah. Well, two things. I mean, the D school thing was just so funny because I was going back to Stanford to be a fellow and I was expecting it to be quite rigorous and academic and, I swear the first two weeks we were playing games that I, without, I, I, no joke, my the Playworks coaches run for the kids in the schools. I was like, wait, wait, what? And it it was great. It was very liberating and it was super helpful. And, um, and, you know, all these things fundamentally about play helps us build trust and rapport. And those are foundational to the kind of risk taking that I was talking, but also creativity and, and just the kind of connection between and among humans that leads to innovation and, and frankly, I think to effective leadership. I, I also, um, I also just think too, if you take a step back and define play, um, one of the things that, you know, I, I have tend to have a very broad definition. And one of the things I talk about in the book is defining play is really still quite a, it is it, not, it's, it's still a little bit up for grabs, although there's some folks who've done some extraordinary work on that play theorist over the ages. But um, I, I like this sort of thinking about play as uh, any activity undertaken for no apparent purpose, which, you know, then casts a very wide net. Yeah. And I am not that there's no purpose whatsoever, but it's not necessarily immediately apparent. And, and um, I'm just really as a grown up navigating the world and, um, I, I am aware that many of the experiences in my life that, that have been the most profound um, and the the ones that have been most um, sort of salient to me figuring out who I am and and what I, I value and what's most important to me, they've been these these sort of wild goose chasey adventures where I've gone off to another country or I've this this summer I hiked the John Muir Trail from Yosemite to Mount Whitney and like. There was, there, you can't really justify this as having an apparent purpose other than like some intrinsic motivation that drove me to want to do it. And that for me is very much at the heart of what play is and, and, and why it's just such a powerful force that makes us human. Yeah. I, I think there is a, a natural segue uh, here between that passion you have that that drove you to hike the John Muir Trail and all that, and what must be your superpower? What what do you think of as that that singular strength that helps you to be so incredibly successful? Um, you, you know, I I would I have this really good friend, uh, Marion Fedman, who told me once when I was a young leader at, at my first nonprofit, a museum of children's art. She said, "You know, Jill, we're many different people in our lives," and um, and so I, I would offer that I think, similarly, we have many different superpowers. Um, I think 
more recently, the superpower that uh, has given me the most success has been my ability to convince other people of their transformative power to make the world a better place, to, to, to really contribute, to make a difference. Um, and I think also that, com- that um, compounded with my ability to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, you know, I really... And I, <laughs> it's a good pair of powers. It's, it's got to happen together. And I, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, and I think, uh, I do think that, um, that, that, being comfortable with our messy interdependence, really recognizing how much we need other people and being open to that and, and, um, and to lean into it. So um, I think early in my career, like I was like, you couldn't, I was like, there's a great George Bush, a, a, a pit bull on the pant leg of opportunity. I think George Bush said that, which I, but like, um, I was just like, you couldn't stop me. And I think that was really valuable, and that was a superpower then. But I think my superpowers have evolved, and um, and I think the ability to center others and to to really build a leaderful organization uh, that that has been really, I think, what served me best. Let's let's drill down on that just a little bit because yeah. you talked about uh, your ability to to help others you know, succeed and, and do great things and, and you get out of the way. And, and you, you talk about building a leader full organization. So clearly that's, that's where it's come together, right? That's yeah. the, but, but tell us a little bit about what that entailed. Go just a little bit deeper on, because uh, you've been able to step away. You, you serve as an emeritus member of the board. Now Playworks, the organization you founded 25 years ago, it's carrying on. Yeah. Not entirely without you, but not under no. your full-time leadership. Tell and, us a little bit about yeah, that. And I would say too, Playworks is not, the, Playworks was the second organization I founded. I, I founded the Museum of Children's Art um, back in 1988. And much to my absolute delight, um, when I, so I started uh, MOCA when I was 23. And um, I had an intern, a 14-year-old high school student, uh, uh, Nina Woodruff, who is now um, lo, these many years later, the executive director of of MoCA, and um, and I so I think and she knew at fourteen when I was like picking her up in my car at you know driving her to the various events and all these things you couldn't do now, but like or like driving her down to you know to drop off her college application and stuff like that later in life, she knew that I completely believed in her, and and that um, I think too. Maybe this is a hangover from a holdover from sports, but um, I I had lots of coaches and teachers in my life who never, and not in a creepy way, but like in a very clear way, made it abundantly um, evident to me that their success was actually uh, intertwined with my own. That like that the hallmark of great teaching is not the teaching itself, but the learning that ensues. That successful coaches coach winning athletes. Um, and, and so that there was just this interconnectedness and that, and our success, honestly, and for the funders who've been the best partners, they've been the ones who've called out that their success as, as, as grant makers and funders, um, is not measured in the amount of money they give out. It's in what we do with that money. Um, so, and I feel like, um, I wanted to be that kind of a person, uh, friend, coach, uh, mentor, boss, um, to others, right? To, to say, look, 
my, my success is completely intertwined with yours. I can't do this without you. Um, so, and what it looked like practically yeah. was um, trusting people and, um, and, and then calling them on it when it didn't work, like direct communication, like, no, that's not working. Like, and it was when we first got AmeriCorps, that was a huge big deal. We fired people and they were like, you can't fire AmeriCorps members. I'm like, oh, yes, we can. You're, it's a disservice not to. Um, yeah. And I think we ask a lot of people and we acknowledge them when they deliver. There's this whole, you know, appreciation economy that um, we, I think, and recognition economy. And um, I, I think I am a, I'm a strong and active member of that economy. <laughs> Excellent. That's really profound. Now, let's let's go one step farther now. Tell us a little bit about how you, because now you, you're spending a lot of your time in academia. You've been at Stanford, you've been at Berkeley uh, doing, you know, brainy people things. And uh, in a way uh, it took me a minute to wrap my brain around that. Cause I think of you as leading playworks, uh, such a fundamental, you know, in a way a basic thing. And yet you're, you come at this profoundly deeply. Uh, and so now as you're thinking about looking back, a little bit uh, on your success and all you've accomplished. Part of what you're doing is thinking about how to tell people to do it going forward uh, and maybe even learn from your mistakes. So what are you teaching people about how to build this leaderful organization? How are you yeah. teaching people to, to help leaders blossom? Well, I should say I'm, I'm a lecturer at both uh, Cal at Berkeley through the Haas School of Business working with undergraduates this semester. And then um I'm at the Stanford at the D School, co-teaching a course on uh, design for play. So I'm not too brainy. Like I just want to like I'm keeping it, I'm keeping it real. Um, and I, you know, I actually was just saying to the to the students in my social entrepreneurship class last week that like, you know, it it's it is their turn. Um, they and I, they are the future leaders in in whatever aspect, whether they go into. Um, the nonprofit sector or the for-profit sector, government, you know, whatever it is, it, it is, they are going to lead. And, um, and I've learned a lot. And so, uh, so sharing that and asking, and mostly I would say it was just building off of the last professor's um, curriculum on, in the social entrepreneurship class. Um, it, as much as anything, it, that's just been a platform for me to ask questions and to, you know, share readings and brought in a lot of uh, friends who are in the sector to be guest speakers. And, and it's been funny because I've brought in folks to speak with whom I completely disagree. And the, the students are like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and so, and that, that there's not one right answer, right? That this is, this is a very uh, personal experience and, um, and that they have to make their way and figure out who they are and what their values are, and then to bring those to bear um, in, in whatever uh, sort of sort of pursuit they they choose, right? Entrepreneurial, socially entrepreneurial, or, or science or whatever. You know, it's just. But I think, um, yeah, I, I am definitely feeling. And maybe you know, I'm 57. I think I'm at a. I'm not not done yet. But I'm definitely aware that it is um, it is a great time to actually try and figure out what can I intentionally do in these next years to um, support others um, coming up next. Yeah. 
as you think about that uh, and think about, you know, what you've accomplished, what do you see as next for you? Do you finish up in academia or uh, is there something else? (laughs) There's something else. Um, I'm, I've been doing a lot of work. I am really interested. Um, um, in the spring, I'm a visiting scholar at Haas, uh, so I'll be leaning into the intersection of social entrepreneurship and democracy. And then I'm I'm also really interested in how play intersects with that. I I think actually that play uh, is one of the ways that experientially we come to develop the the skills of citizening as a verb. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I also have this like uh, just sort of an, in, an interest, a, a, a nugget of an idea that somehow um, that there are lessons to be learned from the NBA that could be applied to our democracy in a way that would be really beneficial for everyone involved. And I, I, I am a rabid Golden State Warriors fan, and, um, but I have incredible respect for LeBron James. And I think there is a political analogy to be made in that about, um, yeah. you know, how might we come to still care passionately about the things that we care about um, and still have respect for people who hold uh, opposing opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have a terrible tendency. Uh, I'm, I'm parroting your words back to you as we were chatting before we turned on the recorder. But you know, we, we tend to vilify people do. who don't agree with us, and that's that isn't how it used to be. You and I are old enough to remember when. <laughs> When Democrats and Republicans were friends. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, I grew up in Washington D.C. and and you, they people went with kids. Their kids went to school together. They played baseball together. You know, like there was there was the summer softball leagues. It just was a very different. Uh, it was just a very different world. Yeah, yeah, and I can see how play plays into repairing that. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. When we do things that bring us together uh, across divisions. Yeah. Uh, it helps. And, you know, being in a softball league would be a helpful thing, right? Uh, Undoubtedly. Yes. No. And there's also a way I I do. um, I also know it to be true from personal experience that you get to know someone when you play with them in just a fundamentally different way. There is, there is a stripping away of some of the, of the, I don't know, the facade that we all sort of, uh, can embrace and just navigating the regular world. And, um, and there, there's some wonderful, and it's now like, I'm not super academic-y on the social entrepreneurship, but in the the play world, I can get like extra nerdy, like around like some of the great play theorists. And, um, my favorite being, uh, Johannes Huizinga, who wrote all about homo lutens, how play is what makes us human and how, he compares the playing to the sacred and how when you are playing with someone, there is just this, uh, this connection where you enter the sacred grounds and um, you take responsibility for each other and, and all that happens when in that space. Um, and yeah. like, like being in a church. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. <laughs> well, uh, Jill, I, I can't thank you enough for, coming back and taking the time to catch up with us. I congratulate you on the book and I hope it sells well. And I hope Thank lots you. of people who are listening will, will buy copies and for their <laughs> friends as well. Um, but 
But uh, again, thank you very much for, for joining me. Before you go, though, will you take just a minute and tell people how they can connect with you, learn more about your work, where they can find the book, sure, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to playworks.org um, and you can order the book through there, then Playworks gets a cut, which is always great. Um, my personal website is jillviolet.com and it's uh, V-I-A-L-E-T, jillviolet.com. Uh, and... Uh, but Playworks is really the great place. Uh, I, I think we've talked about before. Uh, I have another organization that I'm, um, I was a co-founder of, substantialclassrooms.org, which has been working on redesigning substitute teaching, which is really that moment is really a, a profound one right now. The, the, the shortages they're seeing are just really uh, pretty intense, and, and schools are really strapped. And so excited about the work we're doing there at Substantial. Uh, and then mocha.org is the, the Children's Art Museum where Nina Woodruff, uh, my former intern, is now the executive director. And they're just doing extraordinary work um, around equity and the arts. And uh, I could not be prouder. Oh, fantastic. Well, Jill, thank you so, so much for Thanks taking for the time me. to be with us. And yeah. we wish you every success with your book and your work and whatever <laughs> comes next in your life. We, we're, we're rooting for you and you. can't wait to see what it is. Thanks. All righty, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book. Superpowers for Good as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.